Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of History Hack. You have me and I'm with the awesome Beth today. Beth, who have we got on? Today we have Stephen Mackay on the podcast. So Stephen is a writer of historical fiction set in the early Middle Ages. And these works include Wolf's Head, The Druid, The Wolf and The Raven. But Stephen's here to talk about his new book, The Heathen Horde. Hi, Stephen. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Do you know why? (laughs) Because we've had an increase recently of historical fiction and like I said, I keep trying to get away from like my Holocaust and depressing stuff and actually read about something completely different rather than something so depressing. So please tell me your book is not that depressing. No, not really. Um, Alfred's life was ups and downs, I suppose, but the type of books that I write, personally, I don't want to read about depressing stuff, so I make my books kind of, they usually have a theme of like hope running through them. Oh, the one you mentioned a minute ago, like The Wolf and the Raven, that word was actually mentioned all the way through that book, uh, just to keep the depression at bay. So that's kind of how I look at all my books. I usually have like a happy ending and there might be a lot of bad stuff happening in it, but usually there's a kind of hopeful feel to them. Good, good. Then I am definitely grabbing myself a coffee and I will be reading it when I'm going to be in the UK because obviously you can't get books in Poland. It's ridiculous. I mean, I can, but then they're like three times as expensive. Well, it's not actually out yet, so <gasps> it's at the end of October. October the 26th, it comes out. Oh, that's okay. I've got friends coming over then, so it'll be fine. They can bring it over. So this is what I have to do. I have to go and get people to get books from me from the UK. But anyway, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Listen, we're going to be talking about Alfred himself, so let's kick off with something really, really, really easy, and that is about Alfred's family background. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you say it's easy, but it's not actually that easy because there's not much written down about uh, his his family background, and and as much as like the women in those times, they're barely mentioned. It's it's all about the men, and even at that, uh, there's not that much like personal details. So we know that his his mother and father, uh, she died his mother quite early, and then the father married again a much, much younger woman um, when Alfred was only about seven, I think. So it was probably quite strange for him. And he also had uh, five siblings, four older brothers and a sister as well. And they all were a fair bit older than him, apart from his uh, his brother, Ethelred. So it was a kind of, I suppose it must have been quite a strange upbringing for him. 
uh, even went to Rome as a child, I think probably because he was so far away from, you know, taking the throne uh, with all these brothers ahead of him. I think he was seen probably as more expendable than the others. He wasn't as important as the rest, so his father was able to send him off to Rome on a pilgrimage when he was like four or five years old. Some crazy like that, all the way to Rome. I know how dangerous. Really? That was, yeah. Really? <laughs> and it, at, yep. at four or five, going all the way to Rome. I mean, now we think that it's not that far, but back in those days, that's like weeks and weeks of travel. Yeah, months. Um, none of even, like, his parents even went with him the first time. His father went again. They went a few years after that again when he was still a child. And his father did go that time, but it's just, it's a strange, strange way to to grow up, I suppose. I kind of feel sorry for the guy, really. Kind of, he's, I'm trying to gather my thoughts here. So he is, <laughs> what in line to the throne? Like seventh, sixth in line to the throne at this uh, stage? I think he would have been fifth. He had four brothers, so he would have been after them. So if he's fifth in line to the throne, kind yeah. of not really cared about as much, sent to Rome for months and months of travel without his parents. My God. Yeah. Okay. So and he, then when he, he came back and his mother died. So and I, apparently he was quite close to her. So that must have been, as I say, a very hard upbringing. And then his father married this other woman who probably wasn't much older than Alfred at the time. Bloody hell. Yeah. That's... I mean, there's a whole, there's whole kind of other stuff after all that, that behind the family. But, I never went into it in my book. So I did read a bit about it, but I don't know a great deal about it because I probably should have said at the very start, I look at myself as a storyteller, not a historian. And to me, this book is already old. It's not out yet, but I'm just finishing off the next book in the series. So all these events are kind of old hat to me. You know, I've already researched them and put them out of my head and I've moved on to the next period in Alfred's life. So I had to actually go back and just kind of bone up and all this stuff today to make sure that I was able to kind of talk about it. So if I get anything wrong, that's why. I'm a storyteller. Ah, uh, don't worry about it. Listen, sometimes people have got to learn about history one way or another. And if you inspire somebody to yeah. get interested in this time period through your books, then that's it. Your job is done right there and then. Well, it's a, it is a very interesting time period. It's it's just a, it's hard to keep it all in your brain when you're having to move on to the next 30 years or whatever of his life you know that all kind of gets pushed out a bit like Homer Simpson I'm sure he said that once that his stuff gets pushed out so new stuff can take his place but uh, sorry I forgot what your question was actually what was that that's okay don't worry you I'm gonna, as well. I'm going to get Beth to jump in because I'm doing all the talking <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, no, we're um, going to go on to how, well, we mentioned it there, Alina, about how Alfred actually became the king, because as we said, many brothers, you know, not due to come in the line of succession. So it'd be interesting to chat a bit more about how events transpired to actually make Alfred king. Um, and just as a reference point, I have to say, I think my most recent reference for Alfred would be the last kingdom. So if we have any fans yeah. of of the um of the B I think BBC and oh Alina's waving she's a fan too yeah if we have any Last Kingdom fans this is the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about <laughs> yeah I'm so, a fan um, of yes that as well, Alfred yeah. the King oh you're a fan too excellent yeah. I was about to say don't judge me for being a fan of this but but clearly everyone in the room is so it's fine well I've read all the books before they they made the TV series so 
yeah, I always was a fan of Bernard Cornwell. Anyway, let's not digress because I know what I'm like and I know what Beth is like. And we're going to drag you into the depths of digression. So, yes, Beth's question, uh, yes. which was about... About Alfred becoming king. So what events transpired? I mean, I'm assuming, you know, the deaths of some siblings to enable him yeah. to actually become the monarch himself. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He was, he was still fairly young, like a teenager. His father was dead. His mother died. Uh, his stepmother, if I remember right, actually married one of his brothers. After the fact, you know, all, yeah, I don't get into this in the book because I thought it was not really enough to do with Alfred. But yeah, as I said, there was some bizarre stuff going on in the family. And then all the brothers died as well. So they would, it was only like Alfred's closest brother, Athelred, that was left. There was only two years between them. So to me, they were probably quite close compared to the rest of the siblings who were older. So yeah, that left uh, Athelred became king. He was like early twenties, I think, and uh, Alfred still only teenage years. Um, and eventually, Athelred died as well, leaving Alfred on his own of his whole family. Which is well, his sister was still alive, but she was away living up in Mercia uh, as queen consort. So yeah, it's fairly depressing, I suppose, for poor Alfred who had. Probably not a great childhood, and then his entire family died and left him. Why does Ethelred die? Well, I, I don't think there's any... Nobody really knows exactly why he died. Uh, in my book, I've got him against shot by an arrow, and uh, it kind of, the wound festers, and it eventually kills him. But I don't think there's anything in the historical literature that says exactly why he died. Oh. Well, that's kind of put a, I don't know, I'm trying to find the idiom, right idiom for this. Um, this has put not a bee in my bonnet. Never mind, my Polish is kicking in and I can't think in English right now. So, <laughs> Were you hoping like they like all just killed each other off or something? Like, you know how some of these like medieval brothers where it's like, oh, rumours of like poisoning or. Well, yeah, why not? Come on, we want a bit of drama. It's, it's, it's sad <laughs> that we don't know why he died. Was it disease? Yeah. <laughs> I suppose as a novelist, it's a good thing, though, because it let me make, kind of suit things to myself. That's kind of useful. Not not so much when you're writing about modern history and you can't get, can't get away with that and you've got too many sources. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, okay. We are going to move on to the Vikings because, well, everybody loves a good Viking, especially in uh, The Last Kingdom, you know, some of those incredibly good-looking Viking men. Anyway, moving on to the... Moving on from them. Leave Rollo out of this. <laughs> oh no, that was Vikings, wasn't it? That wasn't the last kingdom. <laughs> oh god, I love a good Viking. Anyway, because it's hold on before before I can edit this out, but the Vikings like have started this whole new culture on like TikTok and social media and people dressing up as Vikings, even though there is the program Vikings, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um so yeah, the Vikings, they're a massive threat in this time period. How much of a threat are they uh, to the Kingdom of Wessex? Well, they're a massive threat to the whole of England, really. They actually pretty much take over the whole of England, apart from Wessex, East Anglia, Northumbria, Mercia. That all falls to the Vikings, pretty much. You know, they're like Clyde kingdoms to the, the Vikings, or the Danes, as, as they were called 
at that point. So, yeah, they would attack like settlements and then just move into them and fortify them so that the the local lords or kings couldn't get them out. You know, they would just basically shut the gates and these settlements that they've invaded and then the, the kings would turn up and they'd have to pay them to leave. So they'd pay them a fortune to go away and then in a couple of years they would just come back and do it all again and just basically bleed the country dry and Wessex suffered uh, the exact same way. Alfred a number of times actually paid certain kings off to go away and they just come back and did it again. And It does actually make you question Alfred's naivety uh, in some ways. They just kept doing it, even when he had them at his mercy. He would kind of let them go. And the same ones would just come back and do it again and killing and raping everybody and stealing all their stuff and enslaving them. And then Alfred would just let them off and they would come back and do it again and demand more money to leave again. And it's that's very strange, but yeah, they were to answer the question, they were a huge threat to Wessex, especially once the other kingdoms of, of England kind of fell to the Vikings. Because then Alfred was surrounded by hostile, you know, states, basically. In your book, because you've just mentioned the naivety of Alfred. Yeah. Do you play on this in your book at all, or is this something you completely admit and this is just a an opinion that that you have? Well, no, I do mention it because he was a very religious person. He was a, a real good uh, Christian. So I kind of bring that aspect into it, that that's why he's letting them go away all the time, because he's, you know, the forgiveness, Christian forgiveness, where he wants to believe that they'll they'll do good and they'll hold to their oaths, which they never do, obviously. <laughs> uh, well, they never do until later on. But one of them actually does, but that's the next book, so I won't mention that. But yeah, I, I do. Alfred definitely had his faults, uh, and I think he's, he maybe saw the good people a bit too much when he shouldn't have. Spoiler alert, everyone! Spoiler alert. <laughs> and now we're going to go on to um, talk about a particular Viking sacrifice that you um, have prepared to, to chat to us more about. But what was the blood eagle, and how common was it at the time? Yeah, this is supposed to be a method of execution that the Vikings did. But, well, what they did was they would put the victim face down so their back would be facing up. And then they would use something like a, a saw to cut their ribs away from the spine, pull them back, and then pull the lungs out through these holes that they just made. So it would kind of look like eagle's wings. This is the, the blood eagle thing. So I do mention it in the heathen horde because King Eella of Northumbria was supposed to have been killed like that by the sons of Ragnar Lothbrok. But I don't know if it ever really happened or not. There's only a couple of mentions of it in the literature, the Norse literature, from that even remotely close to the time it happened. And even that, they're hundreds of years after it was supposed to have happened. Um, so... They're not really sure, scholars, whether it was Christian propaganda just trying to make the Vikings look even more brutal than they really were. But I don't know why they would have to, because the Vikings were pretty brutal, like probably most cultures were at that point. And I'm not sure anybody could actually survive that kind of pain and torture, prolonged, you know, sawn through each rib. I think you would probably die of shock after the first or second. Never mind get to the point where you can have two big holes in your 
back and pulling your lungs through it. So I, d- I don't really think it maybe it happened a couple of times, but I doubt it was the, the big thing it's made out to be, really. Do you find any of these sources outside of what you were particularly looking at? So you're looking particularly at the period of Alfred's reign. Is there any mention outside of those sources of this happening to anyone? Well, as I say, I, I only really research what I need to research, the periods, uh, but I don't believe so. Uh, I think there's probably stuff mentioned later once it became almost glamorised that uh, certain writers would start to use it. I know it's used in more modern novels. Uh, Giles Christian, uh, I was listening to one of his, Raven, it's called, and he uses it. But I think it's it's not really something I think would have been done very often. It's probably really hard work as well for whoever was doing it. Never mind. If you were suffering, it had been done to you. I feel like, yeah, we took a grisly turn there. Like, I know I had a question where I was like, right, the word sacrifice. Wait, wow, yes, grisly stuff. Um, we're going to go on to something else now um, and talk <laughs> about uh, about Alfred's navy as such. I don't know what he would have called it at the time, but can you say a little bit about um, what his boating forces were like, how he kind of used them against the Vikings? Yeah, well, He's not really credited with uh, creating the Royal Navy. Well, he, he, he maybe is credited with it, but he didn't really, because uh, there was an, another king 20 years or so before him that had built ships and used them against the Vikings to fight them. Uh, so I don't think Alfred really did like invent the Royal Navy. And in fact, uh, he did use ships a couple of times in his early uh, reign, but there was only like seven ships, or maybe four ships in one of them, you know, so it's not quite the the huge fleet that we would imagine a navy to be nowadays. And later on in his reign, like in my second book that I'm actually working on right now, uh, he did start to use ships a bit more, and he thought about building even bigger ones, because obviously the Vikings were masters of shipbuilding, so he had to kind of find a way to kind of compete with them. So he started to think of making longer ones, bigger ones, you know, more military-style ships rather than the trading vessels that they were probably used to building up till then. Uh, and uh, in the second book uh, that I'm writing, they actually have fights from the decks of the ships. If you can imagine how frightening that would be, you know, compared to fighting on land where you could maybe run away if you were losing or you were terrified. They were actually getting ships and fighting from the decks, you know, against each other, jumping from deck to deck and swinging axes and swords at each other and falling in. And I would imagine with the weight of armour, if they were wearing any, probably just sank straight to the bottom and died. So, yeah, I don't think he used Navy too much, possibly because the Danes were basically masters of, you know, the seas, the whale road, as they called it. Uh, but I think, like everything Alfred did, I think he was a clever guy, and he, he was able to see see ahead. And so anything he tried, he kind of did a good job of. Eventually, maybe not the first few times, but eventually. And I think the navy was the same. He kind of he did start to solidify a decent core of having ships to patrol the waters and stuff like that. 
so that the Vikings didn't have it as easy as they used to in terms of sailing up the rivers and doing what they like to people. You mentioned that you use more of the Navy and you've got that really cool sort of scene happening of fighting yeah. on, on, on the ships. Do you use any of the naval stuff in the first book at all? Not so much from Alfred's point of view. Uh, there's a wee bit, but not really. Uh, in fact, there is a battle beside ships, <laughs> but not on it. It's still on dry land. So sailors are involved, but on dry land. But uh, the Vikings, this is kind of the centrepiece of the book, and probably Alfred's life for me, was Guthrum had a fleet, a huge fleet, sailing to reinforce him during a battle, uh, a siege, a long, long kind of battle, ongoing thing. And this fleet ran into trouble. And it's basically a miracle what happened to this fleet, the Viking fleet. Uh, and essentially saved uh, Wessex and Alfred and England from becoming a heathen uh, country. But So I don't want to say too much because it's obviously a big part of the book, the novel, uh, and it's really exciting what happens. But if you look into it, it's, it's amazing what happened to this Viking fleet uh, and Alfred saw it as a, a kind of a sign from God. And when you actually look at it, it's easy to see why anybody would think that. It's, it's quite incredible what happened to this uh, fleet. So we have to talk about um, Alfred's family at this time as well. So again, Last Kingdom, people will know of um, Athelstad, for yeah. example, who is very cool. Um, did you tell us a little bit about his family at this time? What was going on there? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, and, and obviously how you actually feature the family in in the novel as well. Well, as I said before, there's not that much about the woman. We know Ethelfled was apparently a favourite of Alfred's. He really did love her, uh, feel close to her. But and I, I mean, his wife Ellsworth was—I'm sure he was close to her. But there's not much mentioned even about her, even though she was a, a queen consort. And we know he had five children of his own. And he wanted them to have a good education. So you can kind of infer from that that he must have cared about them if he wanted them to be well-educated. But then again, he wanted everybody in his kingdom to be well-educated because he thought it was godly and it would bring the, the kingdom closer to God. Uh, so I've described him in the book as a loving father and really caring for his wife. 
but there's nothing really, there's not really any sources, like no diaries or anything like that that we can look at and, you know, like Ellsworth didn't keep a diary about how Alfred treated her. So we do know that he enjoyed cardinal delights, uh, as Asser, I'm sure, uh, described it, which I take to mean he liked to drink and uh, eat to excess and he also had sex outside his marriage. So, you know, that creates a, a dynamic between him and his wife that it's not explored in any of the sources, but why would it be? So that's something that I have to bring into the book, the novel, and kind of try and, you know, still be sympathetic towards Alfred because he's the hero. But at the same time, you know, he does have these flaws where he's out drinking all the time. Uh, fighting with people or whatever where it shouldn't be and, you know, having all these maidens in his bedchamber and stuff like that, which I'd imagine probably all the noblemen at the time did. So that's that's a question. How did his wife view it? Was she okay with it or or was she bothered by it or what? You know, these are things that, as a novelist, you have to look at and try and come up with a something that makes sense and sounds realistic. Their marriage was kind of like a lot of the marriages, most of them probably for nobles were arranged. They weren't love marriages. So would a wife bother if a man took another woman to his bed? Would she be glad? You know, it all depends on the, the relationship and how it develops. How do you develop that relationship? Now, I'm I'm invested in this and I need to know more. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll have to read the book. <laughs> no, no, you have to. Okay, give me a little nugget of information to make me want to read it more? Well, to be honest, I don't get into that much uh, the kind of relationship between him and his wife in terms of how she saw that. You know, it's mentioned, as mentioned because it obviously must have been an important point for them. But I don't really get into it too much because as I discovered uh, there's an awful lot of stuff happened in Alfred's life. And when you're writing a trilogy, you have to fit it all in. You know, you end up, you have to gloss over quite a bit of stuff that, you know, if I was self-publishing it myself, I would probably have made it a four or five book series. But the publisher that I'm with, Canelo, they said it was a trilogy, so I've got to kind of shove everything in that I feel is really important. So there's certain things like that relationship, that aspect of it, that doesn't really get mentioned too much. Not in this first book anyway, maybe it will in the, the third, I don't know, but uh, it, it didn't seem that important compared to the number of battles and uh, kings dying and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we know about Alfred as well, there are particular um, health issues there. Can you talk us a bit about what was going on at the time the novel set? Yeah, this is probably the most interesting part of Alfred for me. Everybody kind of knows that's looked into him that he had these uh, stomach cramps and things like that. He possibly had hemorrhoids as well. Um, and he suffered with it throughout his whole life. It even struck him when it was his day of his wedding, two years with. And, you know, that would obviously make him seem really weak to all the noblemen that were there to attend the wedding. He's suddenly bent double in agony for no apparent reason especially when all his other brothers had died. 
you know, they're, they're looking at him thinking, well, here's another one. He's going to die early as well. So he, to me, I think it was probably stress that caused his uh, health issues. Because I remember during lockdown, I started to get pains in my side. And because you couldn't really get to a doctor then, uh, I kind of suffered with it for a few weeks and I was starting to get quite frightened about it. And I, eventually I went to the pharmacist and he said to me, oh, that just sounds like IBS, it's fine. And the moment he said it, it went away and it never, ever came back. And I realised it was just stress that had caused it, the fear of the whole COVID thing had caused a build-up of stress inside me. And I've had it before as well when I did the Open University degree. I used to get terrible headaches. And I never realised until after, like, the third year, they would always come on a week before I had to go and do the exam. And they would finish the minute I came out the exam. And again, it's the stress thing that you don't know, you're, even know that you're stressed out over some, it's subconscious. And I believe that that's actually what was wrong with Alfred. He had all these stresses, Vikings, uh, and his love for God, basically his Christian faith, all warring within him because he wanted to be a good Christian, but he loved these carnal pleasures so much. You know, he was basically addicted to these uh, carnal pleasures when he knew he shouldn't be, so he had all this within him. So I kind of tried to bring all that out in the book. I found that really, really interesting, that he was this really flawed character who somehow did all these amazing things and came to be known as Alfred the Great. I love this, especially when you started saying it's the idea of stress. I was yeah. started formulating it in my brain. I was like, oh, my God, hold on a second. But he's having like this internal strife where yeah. he's pulling one way that he wants, like you said, wants to be this great Catholic king. Yeah. Uh, Chris, sorry, Christian uh, King, and on the other side, you know, he enjoys the sex, he enjoys the alcohol, and most yep. likely gambling as well. Let's add that one in there too. <laughs> so I think that's a really interesting point that you've made, and that's something that I don't think historians really take much into account. No, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah it's not really mentioned in any of the books that I read about, and the people actually, even nowadays. And the Last Kingdom is guilty of it as well. They kind of portray him as this weakling. You know, the Last Kingdom is a skinny, sickly kind of guy who needs Uhtred to fight all his battles for him, which is not true. He was a warrior himself, and he was a renowned warrior, and he was a, a great leader who would stand in the shield wall beside his men and fight beside them just like they did. So... Although he had all these uh, pains and his guts and uh, hemorrhoids or whatever, he still managed to be a great warrior. And I, I try and bring that out in the book as well because obviously The Last Kingdom is something that I have to be different from because everybody knows it. And that was one easy way of doing it, was to bring out the, the warrior in Alfred because he was a warrior. You know, he, he might have been weak in some ways, but he was a physically strong man when it came to fights. Absolutely. And we're going to go on to talk a little bit about sources and how you use them in the novel. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we've already talked about the storytelling and, and that being the primary objective, but you obviously said as well, you know, you read certain things to, to just help get into that context, kind of get your mind into that era. So beyond Asa's life of Alfred, 
were there other sources that you ended up using in the research for your book? Well, as I said at the start, I'm a storyteller, not a historian. So I didn't really go too deeply into scholarly texts or anything like that. I've got an absolutely enormous pile of uh, books, biographies of Alfred, and uh, other books about that time period. And I've got another huge pile about Vikings and their beliefs, because I like to bring that out in the novel as well. You know, the Vikings weren't just this bunch of bearded marauders with no culture or anything. You know, they, they had great stories. They liked to keep clean. They all carried these combs and wee spoons for cleaning the wax out their ears. And they liked a bath more often than other cultures did. So I've got books about all this kind of stuff that will feed into the, you know, the foundation of the book. And the main meat of the book, obviously, is Alfred's life. But I do have a copy of Asser's life of Alfred. And the uh, Anglo-Saxon Chronicle is in it as well. And it's got, like, Alfred's will and stuff like that in it. So I'm going through them because they're quite important in the, the second book in particular for me. But, it's, I, as I say, I'm a storyteller. So I just use the kind of popular biographies of Alfred mixed in with all these other kind of books. Uh, to give a bit of flavour to the background and the characters and things like that. Like you said, you wanted to go away from Bernard Cornwell and this obviously how much we still love it. We will always yeah. love it. And this idea of the Vikings being so barbarous and smelly and all of these negative things which are yeah. portrayed in The Last Kingdom. And I'm assuming you've just gone completely the opposite. No, no, it's not, not not quite the opposite because the Vikings have still got to be the baddies because Alfred is a hero. You know, if I was writing with a Viking hero, it would be the other way about, maybe. But, no, I think the Vikings were very brutal. They were doing horrible things to these poor people in Wessex. You know, they were taking them away and enslaving them, raping them, stealing all their stuff, wrecking their fields, taking their food, you know. And so... No, I wouldn't say I've went the opposite way from from Bernard Cornwell stuff because I'm a huge fan of his. It's just that I've I've maybe done it slightly differently, in particular with Alfred's character himself. But uh, no, I think the Anglo-Saxons themselves were just as dirty and smelly as the Vikings. You know, so it's not fair to kind of single out the Vikings because all of these peoples at that time were kind of very similar. And the Anglo-Saxons and the Vikings actually come from similar places. Their language is very similar. They could probably understand one another fairly well if they spoke slowly enough, because a lot of the words, you know, they all come from the same kind of route. They were all kind of Northmen. At one point, the Anglo-Saxons came over from similar places. So, yeah, they were all kind of much the same. And even their Weapons and armor and things like that were all kind of similar. They had similar myths and things like that before the Anglo Saxons turned to Christianity. So, they're very similar cultures. It is quite a strange period of time. So, we're now going to look at Guthrum and the Vikings under him. And this is a period of time where the Vikings are very successful in their objectives and they indeed take over most of Wessex. How do you um, look at this? Yeah. Guthrum is a real thorn on Alfred's side. And as I said earlier, I mentioned the fleet was coming and they would basically have taken Wessex at that point. 
if God had taken a hand in it. But at, at that point when the fleet was wrecked, uh, I could give that away, I'm sure. I'm sure you've guessed anyway. But at that point, Alfred defeated Gotham and he had him at his mercy. And he just let him go. And that was like the second time or something that he'd had him at his mercy and he just let him go. And Gotham was supposed to go away and never return. But of course he did return uh, during midwinter, which is basically the Christmas celebrations that Alfred was having in his uh, estate at Chippenham. And Gotham turned up with a army and basically chased Alfred out. He would have killed him, but Alfred managed to escape somehow. And from that point on, Wessex was basically in Guthrum's hands because Alfred had to get into exile in Athelney. So you really do wonder why Alfred never killed him when he had the chance. But he just kept letting him come back and come back. It's, it's kind of odd. And you have to put it down to this Christian thing. Or maybe Guthrum was just really persuasive, I don't know, and could make people believe stuff, I don't know, it was, it's odd. But yeah, Guthrum was a very successful Viking as they went, and he did take most of Wessex. There were still people that were loyal to Alfred, like Elderman Athelnoth, who supported Alfred when he was out hiding in uh, Athelney. But yeah, that's kind of where my novel finishes. And then it goes into the, the next part of when Alfred starts to come back from this terrible defeat, basically. I was going to ask, how does he gain his... Can you tell us yeah. that, how he gains his kingdom back? Can you give us a bit of, you know, an idea? Well, that's the second book. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm sure people know most of the story. He hides out in these marshes in Athelney where nobody can really find him and get in to kill him. And then he basically does come back with his army. Support builds back up again for him. And uh, he defeats Guthrum. And again, he doesn't kill him. But that is for the second book. So so people will have to read both the novels to find out exactly what Guthrum does next. And it, so it'll surprise you probably, because it did surprise me. I am really looking forward to this now. I have to grab the first book. <laughs> then I have to sit very patiently and wait till you finish the second book, which is very annoying. So there's a temptation to hold on to this book and then read it when the second book comes out. Oh, no, don't do that. I'm so impatient. I'm one of these people <laughs> that, you know, you have to wait a whole week for the next episode to come along. And you're like, oh, for God's sakes. Well, you could Google it and see how see what Guthrum did. I'll tell you if you want. No, actually be... no. Do you know what it is? It's like... <laughs> It, that's not it. It's when, you, when you're reading a book. Or, for example, back in the day, I was a Harry Potter reader. I don't care what people think. I was a Harry Potter right. reader. It came out when I was a kid. Yeah. So when you sat there and there was like, I don't know, for example, Dumbledore dies, right? And you're sitting there, you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And you have to sit there and wait for like another year and a half to two years for the next bloody book to come out. I'm impatient. Yeah, well, somebody told me ages ago that there's a lot of readers who don't read a book until the whole series is finished. That would probably be me. Yeah, it's not ideal for an author, though, because I want the book to sell as many copies as possible as soon as it hits the shelves, you know. I'll make you a promise. I'll read the first one first, <laughs> and then I'll impatiently wait for the second one. Well, it's all history anyway, so it's not like I've made stuff up. You, know, you can Google it. 
to see what Guthrum does. He actually becomes a Christian, believe it or not. It's not the same, though. <laughs> it's not the same. And so, for example, some of the history books, uh, the the uh, fiction books that I read, not fiction books, um, his, historical, fiction, historical yeah. fiction books that I read, I know what's going to happen because I'm very well aware of the history. Yeah. But it's all the inside bits that you want to know. They're like the meaty bits and a bit of romance yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's that's what matters to me the most. Yeah, so exactly. Well, you're right, though. As I say, I keep saying that I'm a storyteller. That is the job that I've got is to take the history, the dry history, and turn it into something that's going to be exciting for readers so that they'll be desperate for the next book to come out to find out what happens next, even though they know. Now we've loved chatting to you about this, Stephen. So please do remind our listeners, um, is the book <laughs> out or when's it out, where they can buy it from, I'm assuming, all the general bookshops. And we do all, always like to say as well, we have our own History Hack bookshop page online and the authors, um, you know, the authors get a cut, we get a cut. It's all very nice and, you know, avoids using certain websites, as Alina always likes to say. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, the book is out on October the 26th. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it's available. I know it's Waterstones. Uh, we'll have some copies of it on Amazon, obviously. Um, I think basically the usual usual places. Do you not like Amazon? We, we don't mention that word on this podcast. We support local bookshops. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have to say, though, because all my other books are self-published, I had to do it through Amazon, so Amazon are responsible for my career and being a full-time author so no it makes sense it makes sense you know so um, I, I do love local bookshops but none of them would take my book because it was printed by amazon so so this new one will be a, a change for me fabulous we can't wait till it's out we'll get the podcast out and i will definitely be reading the book and uh immersing myself in a different time period rather than uh, genocide yeah, yeah. Well, there's not so much genocide this. So thank you, Stephen, for joining us. It's been great. Well, thank you very much. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show.